Let's share in a time of congregational prayer. If you feel led uh, to uh, lift up a sentence prayer to the Lord, uh, you are free to do so at this time, and I will close us out. Father, we thank you that you hear and answer prayer. Thank you that you're a sovereign God. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It's good to have an opportunity to be back here at the Village Church. Greetings from Scottsboro. So that's where I'm planting the church. I heard the woohoo represent. Very good, thank you. Uh, yeah, just a real quick update on planting in Scottsboro. So I'm in a season of missional engagement right now. 
of reaching as many people as I possibly can because we're gearing up for a summer uh, launch team meeting every day, kind of, you know, not every day, every week, uh, launch team meetings uh, with those that are really bought into the vision of what, uh, you know, we want to see God do there in Scottsboro and make disciples and, and continue to make Christ known. And so we are really excited to say there's probably five to seven families that are on board and, and God's answering prayer. So keep praying that God would bring 20 families. And, and honestly, I'm praying for 10 of those families to be what we call non-churched or de-churched, people that have kind of been disconnected from the church or not even connected, and then 10 of those to be people that are familiar with the church that can kind of help me help these others you know, grow in their relationship with the Lord. So please be in prayer for that. Um, also pray for my wife to be able to get a discipleship program going for the women because Scottsboro is kind of different because sometimes in, in church cultures you see that the women are the ones really spiritually minded and the men are struggling. Well, in Scottsboro, what we're finding is that the men are the ones that are really pursuing the Lord, but the women are struggling. And so I, I think part of that is because of a lack of community among the women. So be, be in prayer for that for us. So thank you so much. So let's turn our attention now to God's Word. Uh, we're actually going to be in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42, not chapter uh, 4, verses 1 through 4. So it's a longer section than was published, but it's a good one. So let us look at John 4 together. And remember, this is God's Word, so follow along with me so you know that I'm not making this up. This is God's Word to us. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself didn't baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Joseph had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour or midday or noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew... <clears throat> ask for a drink from me, a, Samar a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain 
nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then His disciples came back. They marveled that He was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek to her, or why are you talking with her to Jesus? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you didn't labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Well, many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony, which consisted of this. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to say, uh, came to him, and they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is God's world, God's word. Let us pray and seek his blessing upon it. Father, thank you so much for your word today. It's a longer passage, but we ask God that your spirit would be our teacher, that you would help us, O Lord, your people, to to know and understand the truth herein and to apply it to our hearts and our lives. It's in the name of Jesus we ask this. And God's people said, Amen. Scottish theologian wrote a book called The Doctrine of the Atonement. His name was George Smeaton, and he said, to convert one sinner from his way is an event of greater importance than the deliverance of an entire kingdom from temporal evil. If someone were to bring healing to all those in sub-Saharan Africa of their disease, of AIDS, it would not be as great as one converted sinner being saved. That's what this man was saying. This is why Jesus himself would leave the 99 to save the one. Because Jesus himself understood this concept. Reaching one person with salvation is more important than anything else. So why do, why do I want to bring this message of church planning the master's way to you this morning? Because I believe that God, you guys are a church plant, right? You you were planted here 10 years ago. You might not consider yourself still a church plant, but but you are. Every every church is really a church plant where God has brought a group of believers together to do the work of the kingdom. The problem with the church today is that we often get ingrown. 
we become uh, kind of familiar with doing church, and, and we end up doing church instead of being the church. And we forget who we are, and we forget what mission we're really on. We're co-missioners with Jesus Christ and with one another to do the work of spreading the gospel in the world. And so we become ingrown. And within our own denomination, I'm in a particular uh, cohort with some men who are learning how to push ourselves outside of the bounds of what's familiar to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we have found is in the PCA, in our denomination, and this is actually going on in other denominations as well, but the the denominations that are growing are growing by transfer of, of letter, not by people coming to know Jesus. Not, peop- not by people saying, you know, I walked that aisle when I was younger, but man, I'm giving everything to Jesus now. It's only because people are switching churches. And that's not the way we're supposed to be Christians. We are supposed to be outgoing, outreaching, as we go making disciples. Is that right? And so what is that I want us to see from the passage this morning? Jesus wants the church to grow, and Jesus what he does is what we're to follow. And Jesus here is going and, 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 and literally each one reach one. If you don't remember anything else from what I say this morning, remember that. Each one reach one. Because this is how God plants the church. And he builds his kingdom on earth. Each one reach one. So I want us to think about this. Because this, this is actually how we grow. Is if we're thinking outward like this. Because we're always going to be trusting, okay, God, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do this in me and help me get out there so that I can see somebody else come to Christ. And you can build your church. So may God help us to understand this passage and to apply these things. And so I have seven applications for you. So I hope you have a piece of paper or a pen. If you don't, pull out your smartphone and go to your notepad because you won't remember these seven points of application. Okay, and I'm going to try to go through these at a pretty good clip because uh, seven is is a wonderful number. It's the number of completion, but yeah, you know, we can get lost in this, right? So, but let's let's take it one step at a time. So try to write these down. First application: church planning the master's way. I want you to write this down. See each situation as an opportunity. Each situation as an opportunity. John tells us Jesus was in Judea was going to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Now, honestly, there was two routes. The Jews could actually take a longer route and and avoid Samaria to go to Galilee. But this was the, the shortcut. But often Jews didn't like to do it because there was a serious amount of racism between Jews and Samaritans. They, they hated each other, and especially Jews hating the Samaritans. And so, but... Interestingly enough, in God's providence, Jesus had to go through Samaria. And I think it's in the sovereignty of God that Jesus went through Samaria because he wanted to meet this woman and bring her to salvation. So, in God's sovereignty, aren't there things that we are called to do that we don't want to do, that are not familiar, not comfortable, things that are like, God, why do I got to do this? Why do I have to face this? But see, those are the things that we have to trust God in, that he knows that we're going to grow in our faith in him 
as we go through that. And maybe somebody else will come to know him or grow in him as well. So once again, it's a necessary thing that we've got to face these things. But we, we, we serve a sovereign God. He knows what is going to come to pass beforehand. He's planned it out. So think about these things as you consider this text. We are exactly where God can use us. Think about that for a minute. You're exactly where God can use you right now. And you're never just passing through. You're never just passing through. Think about the divine appointments that God has given you through this past week. This past, this, this, the, the, you know, yesterday. What are the divine appointments that God has for you? No situation is a coincidence or an accident. If you believe in a sovereign God, no situation is coincidental or an accident. Where does God have you right now? What I want you to do is ask the Lord to help you see each situation as an opportunity. How many times do we go, man, you know, like my daughter was in the hospital all last week. She had a staph infection in her knee from falling in the gym at school. It was not one of those things we planned. And we're going, oh, man, this is so inconvenient. You know, we're thinking to ourselves, you know, this is an obstacle. This is a block goal. Man, this is an opportunity. Opportunity to see, you know, maybe inside of the hospital and meet hospital staff and share Christ and, and the love of Christ with them. Opportunity for the church. The church really rallied around us and provided food for us and held us up in, in, in prayers. It was scary. My daughter getting this staph infection, I mean, her blood count was, you know, white blood cell count was like 20,000 scary you know when she was so sick and, it, and it's hard when you see a little 11 year old daughter of yours you know hurting like that but lord help us to see in this situation an opportunity to glorify you ask god to forgive you for seeing these hard situations as obstacles ask god to see with eyes of grace as he would want you to see and seize these opportunities that god gives you in faith grab them grab hold of them and say, God, I'm going to move forward in faith in this. I'm scared to death, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you, yet help my unbelief kind of thing, you know? So application two, take risks and overcome barriers to meet people's needs. Jesus overcame a barrier, didn't he, when he met with Nicodemus in chapter 3. John chapter 3, Jesus meets at night with this religious leader. That was a risky thing. This could have been seen as a conspiracy by the, you know, the religious leaders. You know, this was a risk. And then now in John chapter 4, Jesus has taken a risk by a meeting with somebody from the other side of the, of the, of the, uh, of the spectrum. She's not religious. She's probably an outcast coming to the well during the day by herself instead of with all the, the other women. And Jesus is meeting with her. And see, even the woman points out that there are some serious barriers here. There are some serious barriers. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? A woman from Samaria. Well, when uh, I recently was at a missions conference, one of my friends and fellow church planners, he actually shared that there were some other barriers that were interesting that, that Jesus uh, you know, has to cross over here. Uh, when meeting with this woman, and he asked her, he asked her for a drink, and then he says, "If you knew the gift of God, 
and who it is that's saying, do you give me a drink? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And what does she say to him? Sir, you don't have anything to get water with. There's a practical barrier. Jesus doesn't even have a bucket. He's sitting by the well hoping somebody's going to come along because he's been walking all morning from Judea. He's ready for a drink. And he asks her, give me a drink. And she says, you know, and then he tells her about, you know, the living water thing. And, well, you don't have, you don't have a bucket. And the well's really deep. This is going to be fun to watch you try to do this. Where do you get living water? I mean, sometimes living water was, was running water, was, you know, kind of like a, a, a spring that was flowing. And that's, that's, that's something that she was probably picturing at the moment. So there's this practical barrier, Jesus not having a bucket and, you know, where in the world is he going to get living water? Then there's the authority barrier. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Are you going to, are you going to actually do something right here to dig a well that's going to provide water that runs uh, you know, better than, than, than Jacob's well? Are you, are you going to top what he did? Well, then there's the theological barrier. It's interesting, Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was speaking to you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Interesting. Think about this for a minute. To the Samaritans, they only believed in the first five books of the Bible. Right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Torah. To them, that was the gift of God. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God, what is, what is the message of the Torah? There's one greater than Moses coming. And he's, and, and, and he's the one who is our deliverer. And so there's a play on words here. Jesus is, is kind of playing on this, but because also what is he bring, coming to bring? The gift of God of what? Eternal life. Salvation in him. Right? And so... He's, he's not being mean here. He's not being sarcastic. He's kind of working with her in her understanding of this, this concept of the gift of God. But he's, he's, he's just very, you know, working the barriers, crossing the barriers a little bit. She had no clue of the gift of God of salvation, folks. The Samaritans looked for a, a one greater than Moses that would kind of be a leader for them, but not because of, of a need for salvation. A need for rescue, necessarily. The Samaritans even didn't have all the prophecies that, that were included in the, in the prophets, um, such as Jeremiah 2.13, where God himself reveals himself as the spring of living water. Or the messianic prophecies of Zechariah and Ezekiel that point to the new covenant era when living waters would flow out from Jerusalem. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, right, that, that's being talked about there. Well, the, this woman had no context for that. She had no ability to understand any of this. So Jesus, though, came to, to breach this, to, to, to cross the barriers, to address the need. And the need was for them to know eternal life. Nicodemus needed to, to know what born again was. He's like, how do I do that? How do I get born again? That, that doesn't make sense. And, and, and she's kind of in the same boat, even though... He was a religious leader, and she was pretty irreligious. She knew very little of the, of the Bible. But both needed eternal life and knowledge about that. And so Jesus has, has overcome barriers. He's taken risks because people need him and salvation. But what if we don't take risks and overcome barriers to meet people's need for salvation? We're disobeying the Lord. We have to 
proclaim salvation. We, we are the messengers. We are ambassadors, right? We are, we are the ministers of reconciliation, bringing this message that God has reconciled sinners to himself. And so we're not better than our master. Our master has done these things, so we're to do these things. We're to follow suit. So we must love our neighbors as ourselves. And so we, are, uh, we can't love our neighbor from our recliner unless they're across from us in the living room. We've got to do some work to get them in our home, right? To, to open our lives to them and to have them in front of us. We've got to get out there, get a little uncomfortable, asking the Lord all the while to bring us to people and empower us to take risks and overcome barriers, for the need is great. People need the Lord. The third application, here we go. Connect intentionally on common ground that God's given you. John tells us Jesus is, is weary from his journey and he's, he's thirsty, right? John also tells us about the woman who's come to the well to draw water. She does this every day probably for her daily supply of water. She's thirsty too. You see, there's common ground at the well. And so we also see Jesus was alone. His disciples had gone into Sychar to buy food. And, and she's alone. And she's lonely, probably. Because she's coming by herself. Likely because the women of the city are kind of like, we're not going to hang out with her. She's had many husbands. And now has got a guy who's not her husband. And so what do we see here? We see uh, Jesus, instead of clamming up, he connects with her. And he connects with her on the common ground of thirst, asking her, give me a drink. He kind of starts the conversation. I mean, he's sitting there. He doesn't have a bucket, so he's, he's trying to initiate, right? He's, he's connecting on this common ground. But we know, what was Jesus after? He's not after necessarily to, to get something to drink for himself. He's thinking, I, I, can, I can satisfy her thirst that's spiritual. I can satisfy her longing for salvation. And I'm going there. And see, Jesus was about his gospel mission. That's what he's up to. And so connection around common ground will help us believers on our mission that, that Jesus has given to us, the gospel missions that he's given to us. We've got to quit thinking everybody out there in the world is, uh, is so much different from, from us. We've got to stop thinking that. We share DNA. You cut us, we'll bleed the same kind of blood. I mean, it's all red, right? And we also share what? We share sin nature, our struggle with sin. So often the people outside the church think, well, you guys got it all together and you're just a bunch of hypocrites because I really know that y'all do bad things too. Well, we're supposed to be perfect, but you do bad things, so your message is worthless. Well, wait a minute. No, we're not perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. We need him every day. We need grace every day. So we're trying to point you to him just like he saved us, but we're, we're, we're trying to walk with him and, 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 and learn from him and grow in him in our new identity. So remember that. Connect intentionally on common ground. What is the common ground God's given you with other people? Application four, be gracious and patient with others in the truth. The gospel doesn't need to be given in a shotgun fashion, all at once. You know, just boom, and blast them with everything you know and everything you got. And sometimes do you, do you feel like that? That you, you know, you got to do such a great job that, okay, I'm not, I'm not 
stopping my conversation here or my monologue. I'm just talking. I'm just talking, right? That we got to stop doing that. People, people don't want to listen to that. We got to give them gracious and we got to be gracious and patient as we give the gospel. Give, give them a little bit here and a little bit here and give them time to respond. That's what I think Jesus is, is doing here. We're, we don't want to scare people away. Jesus introduced the gospel truths graciously and patiently with people. And he loved them as he did this. He didn't just, i got to get this truth out and then I'm going to leave. He, he was there with them. He was present with them. And he piques their interest by, by giving them a little bit of gospel, right? And he allows them to interact and ask questions. So Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but who drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Man, Jesus is being so clear here, right, about who he is. This is what people need from us, such clarity in a few words. This is what the gospel is about. It's not about you working hard to get God's approval. Jesus accomplished righteousness for us. And this is who he is, and this is what he does. Boom. I mean, you just lay it out there real easy. But see, this woman, he lets her respond. He doesn't keep talking. She responds, sir, give me this water so I won't have to, I won't be thirsty anymore. I don't have to come to this well and drink. She's still thinking he's talking about actual water, right? And, and Jesus is patient with her. He, he knows she's, she's not quite there yet. He's just introducing the truth. He's putting it out there. And, you know, she, yeah, Jesus isn't quite ready yet to give her this water, right? He's not ready to, to just say, okay, here's the answer. You know, he, he waits a little while, doesn't he? And he actually addresses her shame because that's why she's coming to the well when she's coming because she's ashamed. She's an outcast. She's a sinner and she knows it. And everybody else, I think, has, has, is knowing it and lets her know it uh, probably when they see her. But what Jesus does here is, I think, genius because he's coming to her and talking to her about her, her humanity now. And I think this is huge because people often won't hear the gospel truths that we have unless they start hearing about the bad news, right? The bad news makes the good news of the gospel that much better. The bad news is we've got a problem. We've got a sin problem. And so isn't it true that our friends, they need to know that we love them, warts and all, and you know, that really we're sinners and they're sinners. We're all sinners. We're not going... You know, you're a sinner, and I got it together. No, it's it's. there's level ground here. We're all sinners. We're all broken because of sin. And so Jesus, you know, obviously he doesn't have sin, but he's going there to talk about that shame. And so he says, you know, go call your husband and come here. Boy, he just has touched the nerve, hasn't he? He's touched the nerve. He, he knows what's going on because he's the Lord. And so, and of course, this whole conversation ensues. Yes, I, I, I don't have a husband. Yes, well, you've had five. And the one that you, you have now is not your husband. You're, you're living with a man. Um, what you have said is true. Jesus affirms her. You, you're being honest with me. It's good. And so what does Jesus do now? 
He doesn't berate her or, her or beat her up, does he? He doesn't go, shame on you. How could you be like this? He doesn't do it. Interestingly enough, Jesus just carefully, respectfully explores her heart and her sin by, he, by these questions, by even asking her to go fetch her husband. And guess what happens? Instead of being turned off to Jesus, she's intrigued. She says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> Basically, in today's language, uh, you're somebody who knows something about my heart. This is pretty cool. I, I don't know what to think about this, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm hooked. I'm in. You know, she's interested now. All right. Moving to the next point of application. Application five. This is a good one. I love this one. Look for keys that people give to you about what's going on inside of them or in their life. And then, because you can use these keys to then introduce them to salvation. Her key was worship. You remember that? She brought worship up. And she basically turned the attention off of herself to, well, you know, we have a different kind of worship style. You know, you're contemporary, you're traditional. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it, it was, you know, you're, you're, you Jews do this in Jerusalem. Well, well, we Samaritans worship here at Mount Gerizim. And, and so, you know, we're different. All right? People are going to put up, it seems kind of defensive, and some people will, will do that. They'll put up a defensive posture. I had a guy tell me over lunch that I met at the gym, and, and the gym is kind of one of my little Samarias. I, I'm going there. I'm trying to get fit, trying to meet people. But, man, we're all there doing that, aren't we? I mean, well, I know one lady. She, she's there to talk. Uh, she likes to talk to everybody there. And, well, I guess I'm there to, to do that, too. So uh, I, we're, we're working our jaw muscles together. But, you know, the, the, this guy, though, that I met at the gym, fascinating character. I've just given him a little bit of gospel here and there, and, and he's hooked. And we go to lunch, and he says, Dieter, I struggle, Dan, because I grew up in the church, and I did a lot of drugs, and, and I, I just, I, I'm, not, I'm not good enough. I, I, I'm not good enough for God. And he said, honestly, I have a soft spot in my heart for Satan. First, the theologian in me is going, okay, I'm going to exit right now. You know, but the reality is, what did he need? He needed me to say, you must, you have a spot in your heart. You feel kind of sad for Satan. What, what does that mean? you got to help me understand. And, and you know when I asked him the question, he said, well, he kind of got a bad deal. And I'm thinking, okay, that's an interesting perspective. But I'm just you know, trying to suspend judgment and listen to him. Well, sure enough, in his life, he got the raw end of a deal where he didn't get an opportunity to, to repent and, and he and wasn't shown grace. He just kind of got the door slammed in his face by somebody. And I'm going, ah, that's why he has a soft spot in his heart for Satan. Satan didn't get a chance to repent. He wasn't given that. And that's where he's, he's going in his, in, his, in his, you know, sinful thinking. It's not redeemed thinking. And so, but once again, I could meet him there and I could talk to him there, right? And I could, I could listen to him. And he's given me a key going, I kind of got a bad deal. And I'm not happy with that. And I think God has kind of given me a bad deal. Oh, really? Wow. So, okay. So I deviated a little bit from the passage. But I, I want you to look for these keys. 
because, once again, it seems like sometimes that they're defensive, like someone's putting a wall up. And you can say, oh, so, you, so you're an atheist? So let me just ask, are you mad at God for something he did? And honestly, the atheist will actually say yes, nine times out of ten. And you're kind of going, you said you were an atheist. There is no God. But now you just answered my question as though there is a God and you're not happy with it. Fascinating, right? So, but take that and, and, and just listen to people. Kind of pull on those keys a little bit because they're going to unlock something in that person. And you're going to see an image of God. And you're going to go, okay, wow. All right. What a, I love this person. I love this, this person. And so Jesus now addresses her. Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. I love this. Jesus is taking the worship issue and he's now saying, really, the Samaritans and the Jews both, that's, that's kind of passe. Let me tell you what's really going to happen. God is doing something new. And, and it's actually happening right now. God is seeking true worshipers and they're going to worship him because they're going to be like him. Because they're made in, you know, made new in, in the inner man. They're born of God. And so Jesus is, is now giving her some truth, meeting her where her key is that she, she's, and her hang up really is. I don't really want to listen to you because you're a Jew. Well, let me tell you something. You know, somebody's going to have hang-ups, but just just try to be patient with them and just give them a little bit of the gospel. Give them a little bit of the gospel that relates with that particular key. And Jesus mentioned the word salvation. Once again, she wasn't talking about salvation. She was talking about worship. But Jesus got something new. He's talking about salvation, that true worshipers will be changed so they're able now to worship in spirit and truth. They have a new ability to worship the Father. They're made alive spiritually. They now know the truth and are set free by it. And yet, what's her response? I know that Messiah is coming. And when he comes, she says, he will tell us all things. She's not shutting Jesus down. She's actually letting Jesus know, I'm actually looking forward to the Messiah coming. Because then I'm going to understand everything that didn't quite make sense. And what's beautiful is what does Jesus say next? I who speak to you am he. I don't know about y'all, but I just got chills. Can you imagine being that woman and being in her shoes, outcast, alone, and suddenly the one standing in front of you who's been talking about some really cool stuff, salvation, you know, springs of living water flowing up into eternal life. I mean, this is good stuff. I who speak to you am he. She is standing before her Redeemer. And I honestly believe that what happened in that moment is the Holy Spirit brought her to life. And she got it. She got it. That He is the Christ. I think she was thinking, my Lord and my God, you're here. He became a worshiper in spirit and truth. The Father had just made her a true worshiper, just like Jesus did talk with her about. Her jar of her soul was filled and satisfied, likely for the first time in her life. Application 6, 
Share boldly and courageously as your boldness will lead others to do the same. Hang with me. I'm going to go through this pretty quick. The disciples had left Jesus to go get food. Some people, some theologians say the disciples were thinking too much about their, their bodies and, and hunger and not about the kingdom. And I don't, I'm like, give me a break. We all need, we, need, we need to get refreshment, right? We all need to go to lunch soon. So that's why you're all thinking, come on, dude, hurry up. So, but the reality of it is the disciples went to do something, you know, for the whole group of them. You know, they all needed to have something to eat. And so they went away. Can you imagine when they, this group of, of men, came back and saw Jesus talking with this woman? This was weird for them, guys. Because back in that day, the rabbis would, would actually stand and say, God, thank you that I'm not a woman. They were misogynists. They were chauvinists. And so this is new for them to see Jesus speaking to a woman like he's speaking to her, especially a Samaritan woman. And likely they knew she was an outcast because she's alone and not with a group of women. And John tells us that they simply marveled at this. They were just kind of, wow. You know, and it was interesting because it's not judgment. They weren't, you know, offended at Jesus. And, and John notes that no one asked her, what do you seek from him? Nobody said to Jesus, why are you talking with her? You know, we don't know if some were offended or some just purely in awe of this interaction. But nonetheless, we note that this woman, verse 28, left her jar and went into the town. So the, so the disciples here, they're now coming in and they're marveling at this scene. And the woman, the very reason why she came that day, it was to get water. And she leaves her jar and takes off into the city. She is, you know, whatever happened to her that day made her forget why she came, right? She was saved. And she wanted to go tell others about what, was, what she had experienced. And so, listen, she goes into the city Many of these people know her, like right? They know her at small town. They know what she's done. And she runs into the city. Come see a man who told me all I ever did. I don't think Jesus told her everything she did, but I think that statement, she felt like Jesus told her everything, everything she ever did. And that was going to be the, the hook for them to come. Had she just said, hey, everybody, I, I just met a guy, and he's pretty cool, they probably thought, oh, great, number six is coming. You know? But instead, this is different. This Come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? See, she didn't tell him, he is the Christ, because she would have sounded like a nut job. Can this be the Christ, right? So she's bold now, isn't she? She's not shaped, her words aren't shaped anymore by her shame, but about this new relationship with Christ. She's got a new boldness now. She's got a new boldness and courage in her spirit as Jesus had with her and now inviting them to come see messiah for themselves and they came don't underestimate the power of god's spirit in you christian it doesn't matter how old you are if you want to tell little guys and girls in here you want to tell your friends about jesus you do it you do that because the holy spirit is working i've had plenty of opportunities with my kids where they said, Daddy, I, I shared Jesus with somebody. And I'm like, yes, that's great. I love it. They just felt compelled to do it. And God gave them the words to say. You don't have to, you don't have, to have all these words worked out beforehand. We have the Holy Spirit. Don't underestimate the Spirit as, 
and, and the Spirit working through you as you go in faith to share Christ. And God will work as you go, folks. God will work. But once again, can He work in this way if the salt stays in the salt shaker? Can God work through us the light if the light's not on but hiding maybe under a bushel? We've got to be engaging with people. So put yourself in front of as many people as you can and and love them and listen to them and connect with them and see what God does as you do that. Last point, I promise I'm going to wrap it up here. Don't get lost in the trivial stuff of every day. Man, that's so easy, isn't it? But instead get caught up in the will of God being done as there's a harvest, right? There is a harvest right now. There's something happening as Jesus says here, the disciples, you know, we're just thinking about Jesus' sustenance. And he's like, <clears throat> you know, they ask him, hey, Jesus, have you had something to eat? And he's like, hey, I have food that you know not of. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. You know, other when he was tempted by Satan, you remember that? And he was super hungry. You know, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's, he is hanging on the words of God that sustain him. He does not need this literal food that they're talking about. He, Jesus is probably really excited because the Samaritan woman is pumped about him and, and knows Jesus now. And he's excited about what's, what's going to happen next. He actually gives them an analogy in verse 35. You see that there? Do you not say there are four, yet four months, then comes the harvest? He said, look, I tell you. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. I bet you anything that while that was being said, the people were coming from Sychar over the hill and were watching. These disciples were seeing the woman and all these people coming. You guys like end early or something? A lot of people are leaving. So I just thought I'd go and go and go. But, um, so, but you hear what Jesus is doing there. See, the fields are white with harvest. Look, lift up your eyes and see this happening. I think the disciples were able to look over there and see all these people coming. That's awesome, isn't it? And he says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. I mean, I believe that woman's she's 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 excited about possibly reaping what's what's going to happen from the harvest of people coming to know Jesus. And also, who what is Jesus talking about? One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you didn't labor. Others have labored and you've entered in their labor. I think Jesus is saying, guys, where there's people, there's going to be a harvest. And you guys are going to be sowing, but you're also going to be reaping. You're going to be reaping when others have sown. And you're going to sow and others will reap. And all the people, all sowers and reapers are going to rejoice together on that day when we're all together with Jesus in glory. So think about that. Don't get lost in the trivial stuff. What is it that God wants us to see here? We want to get caught up in the will of God, and that is He's building His kingdom. He's building His kingdom, and He's using us to do it. So we need to rejoice in this. We need to rejoice in this. Many Samaritans believed because of the woman, but many more believed when they got to hang out with Jesus for two days. Right? So guess what happened there in Sychar? There was one person reached, and that one person reached a group of people. And you have a first church plant mentioned in the Bible. 
right? The first church plant, I mean, you could say Jerusalem and the disciples were a church plant, but you got a new church plant in Samaria. Praise the Lord. Now caught up in the will of God and seeking to see the harvest that was going to come to be because of Jesus. May God help us to apply these, these, these principles, these applications. May God help us as we think about being the church to go forth in boldness and courage and look for, for ways to, to love people and listen to people. I always, I'm a talker. I don't know if you could know that or not, but from what, you know, my time up here, but I, I'm learning to listen to people and love people where they're at. And man, I'm going to tell you, God is teaching me so much in doing that. Listen to people. Give them a little bit of the gospel and then and just kind of let it marinate, let it sit. Let the Holy Spirit work. You don't have to tell them everything you ever know. So let me, let me pray for us. And this is a prayer by A.W. Tozer that I thought was significant. O oh Lord, though we are chosen by you and honored by a high and holy calling, let us never forget that we are but men and women, boys and girls of dust and ashes. We are people with all the natural faults and passions that plague the whole race of mankind. 